Welcome to your sophomore year at the Tragedy Academy, where you are the teacher and we are the students. Together, we learn from past tragedy to lay the foundation for a better humanity. The only supplies you'll need an open mind and a sense of humor. So, tilt that chair back, talk out of turn, and never raise your hand. Because this is the Tragedy Academy and class in session. I'm Pure Scott. And I was looking through all the things that are surrounding our discussion today. <laughs> it's like, if somebody walked in behind me, they would hope that I'm at least a doctor or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay. And today I am joined by Rachel McDonald. How are you doing today, Rachel? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I, thank you so much for coming on today to share your story. For all the women out there, this show should probably resonate with you. I think in one way, shape or form, uh, there's going to be congruencies to Rachel's conditions and things that she's endured over the last, what, 10 years? Somewhere Feels around that like time it. frame? Yeah. So, Rachel, do you want to tell us about endometriosis, which is what you're here to discuss, and then everything that went into that whole entire journey and just kind of walk us through that? Yeah. So, I guess the the definition of endometriosis, just kind of like an idea of what it is, it's, it really is just like uterine tissue that grows in the wrong place. But to me, because obviously, like, I'm not like, oh, my uterine tissue is in the wrong place. Like, that wasn't my symptom. So what it was to me was just pain all the time. The way, I mean, obviously, a lot of every, any woman listening knows how periods work. But just in case you don't know, like, usually once, once a month for a week, you can get cramping. And it can be painful, but it's not supposed to be as painful as I think people are led to believe. Um which is why I think a lot of women don't get listened to with things like endometriosis. So you think that the the pain is downplayed um, tremendously. Do you find yeah. that that's more from a female perspective or a male perspective, or is that societal? I think it, it, I think it's societal because I've had male doctors not take it seriously, but I've had women doctors also not take it seriously. I think it's just that people are used to like menstruation being uncomfortable and painful that I think people forget there's kind of like a range on that. If the pain goes outside of this range, it stops becoming normal. Yeah. Don't we have that meter when you walk into any office that starts with like super frowny face to like finger guns, happy guy or whatever. So Supposedly. I would think that if you're outside of that realm, then yes, that's an emergency. That's something that you need to take care of. That's outside of the norm. Yeah. So you, you think could be that simple, but I think a lot of, Doctors kind of think that either people are being overdramatic about it or I mean, and there's also just not a lot of there's not as much attention paid to it with like research and stuff, I think. And that's one of the really big issues because, I mean, it, we kind of look at like medicine right now as being really advanced. But if you look, compare it to like with endometriosis, the medication that I took for it, which didn't work for me, was the only medication available. And it was not even fully approved. So I took it while it was still experimental. That was the Olorissa that you had Olorissa. referenced in your video. 
Yeah, that's mm-hmm. they. I, I was reading up on steps that you had taken through this process from beginning to end, and starting out with that endometriosis. And I want to make sure that we um, we don't make this all clinical because what I'd love to hear is when a young woman is going through, you know, first of all the uh, the throes of growing up, puberty, on top of you know the the menstrual cycle. And then everything that society has created as the role of a young woman and what she is to be whole is to be able to be this person to somebody else, be this for whatever situation. And I want to make sure that we address what it's like to go through that and the stressors, the PTSD that comes from chronic pain, that comes from, you know, interacting with your loved ones feeling the inability to provide certain levels of things and inadequacies and things that I'll be honest, I I firmly believe they're all figments of society that are created as invisible barriers in our head and we just simply fight against them. So I want to make sure that we discuss these things because everybody can Google how to get an IUD. Everybody can Google endometriosis. But not everybody can feel your pain Mm -hmm. and then also understand how you went through it. So I'd love to be able to delve into that quite a bit um, because I think that that's where the bread and butter is. It's what gets people through things. Mm -hmm. My experience, I mean, every aspect of life was affected by it. Um, But I think I'll start with like school and then work. So with school, it became really difficult because... At the time, in high school, it wasn't as bad as it got in college, but I was still facing a lot of, you know, I have to go to school every day. You know, this is high school, but I didn't feel like something I could share at high school. I mean, I had a lot of progressive friends, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't like as easy to be like, hey, like I'm having extreme pain and I don't feel like I can be a normal functioning person today. That wasn't really, and it wasn't my parents that were like, you know, you have to go to school. It was just like the way the system set up, you know? Well, there's also a child in those situations has one of their greatest fears is of missing out. Yeah. People fail to remember that, that when a child is wrapped up in that life, their reality is it's fast moving. It's being there to take it all in. And when you aren't there, you get deathly afraid that you're going to get dropped out of the loop. You are no longer Mm -hmm. going to be relevant. So you want to make sure that you're there every day. And, you know, on top of the fact that you have to keep up your grades, you have to keep up, you know, the entire the entire charade in order yeah. to, to function. So you feel like you're failing yourself in advance. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult to to focus. It's difficult to, you know, and it, 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 it affects your mood. Uh, anything usually that causes discomfort, like you get irritable and it starts to become really difficult to just to kind of control your emotions because obviously mood swings is a thing already. And then if you add like mood swings on top of like a menstrual cycle that is so painful that, you know, there's the vomiting, there's loss of consciousness, all things that shouldn't be normal. And to be always told like, it's supposed to suck. Getting your period is already scary. And then in your first five or six years of it, thinking, oh my gosh, I have 50 years ahead of me of being so miserable constantly. I could not imagine that thought. Uh, Oh, hey, guess what? 
you get a dose of one week of pain for the next 50 years or whatever. Yeah. And endometriosis takes like an average of, I think, eight to 10 years to get diagnosed. So people think that this is their normal. They think this is just the way it's going to be and that there's nothing they can do about it. And not everyone's given the knowledge or the information from their doctors that it's not normal. Well, here's a thought behind that. There's no way to know. When your only reference point is an internal mechanism for your own pain or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're enduring daily, the only reference point you will ever have for somebody standing next to you is either the look on their face or the feeling that you have that's closely associated with it. I would look at it from the perspective of, say, someone that was not necessarily shaming you, but not giving you the credence for your situation, not allowing your, you know, your full voice to be heard for your pain or something like that. And let's say it's like a female doctor or something like that. Um, in those situations, I find it hard not to think that maybe the societal experiences, generational experiences become that women had been kept to such a demure status that they had to hold their pain in so as not to affect the family household or to be perceived as anything but just a silent wife. And then now we're looking at people get jealous of what they can't have or people get jealous of what they didn't get to do, especially in age. So what do you do? If you heard, shut up, be quiet about it, don't say anything, and then you finally get somebody in front of you in a more progressive state, You might resent the fact that they get to be free. You don't know that you resent it, but you resent it because you didn't get the chance to have your voice heard. It's it's an odd dynamic. We had um, an author, Karen Laven, on not long back. She's a hysterical woman. She's just amazing. Um, And she wrote a book. I want to say it was somewhere around your age. And she had similar issues, not necessarily to your degree, but enough to cause her, you know, unreal amounts of pain and trauma during that period of her life. And what she did was she wrote a book and I have it on my, uh, on my shelf over here and it's the other 28 days. Right. And it was just something stupid about like, not stupid. It's, it's a funny book. It's a great creative piece. And it's just dumb things that you can do with female products for the other 28 days until you have to go back to <laughs> using fe- feminine hygiene products again, right? So mm-hmm. it, it was her way of breaking a barrier down amongst her generation, which would be the generation before you, trying to make it acceptable to have an open dialogue about what women are going through. And actually not necessarily for me to hear it or another man to hear it while they need to, they need to understand, but normalizing it within the female population, allowing the breath, you know, of everybody to drop the anxiety around people knowing, you know, so it's got to be so odd to walk around and feel like you're being looked at because of something that nobody could ever see. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people like have a hard time bringing up issues about something that they're supposed to feel ashamed about in the first place. So it's like for me, like obviously my parents didn't ever like they weren't ever weird about it. But a lot of people like were weird about it, even when I was having pain issues or whatever. And I had no choice but to explain to like a boss or a coworker or a teacher or whatever what was going on. Like they would, they would get uncomfortable all of a sudden, you know, and then it stopped being me trying to say like, Hey, this, this is causing me to be unable to perform my job or my class properly. 
and I'm just experiencing pain. I need to step outside or whatever. And they would get really weird about it and get uncomfortable, which just kind of like sucks. Humans really fucked up the understanding of how, you know, we should deal with empathetic situations or painful situations and why we ever decided to tattoo shame on something that comes once a month that we know is going to happen to every female that comes out, you know, barring some kind of issue with, you know, the internal organs of some sort. But aside from that, we know it's going to happen. It's like Mm -hmm. getting angry at the sun for coming up or being shameful, you know, or you you Mm -hmm. know it's going to happen. Why wouldn't we take that time to normalize it? Which is one of the reasons why I kind of like TikTok for things (laughs) like this, right? Because Mm -hmm. it opens up a humorous dialogue. It allows people to empathize with each other, to relate, to bridge those divides and go, you know what? This is funny. Because, you know, we're all in it together. And if we're all in it together, we can talk about it. You know, I could deal with a little less farting from you guys. That's that's kind of scary on TikTok. <laughs> I've seen that that's a trend amongst women on TikTok now. They, they all want to do something extremely obscene and it's hysterical. There's some wild, wild people on there. It's insane. But I like that for that reason. It feels like it's a megaphone for, you know, the ability to bridge those divides. Going through these phases, these steps that you went through, because you had endometriosis, and then you were put on these extremely potent hormone drugs. Oh, the Orlissa, yeah. Orlissa. And then you underwent almost like your own clinical trial while you were doing this as well, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it took me six months to get the medication approved in the first place, even though it was the only medication available. The insurance still didn't want to cover it. We finally got it covered and it didn't have a huge amount of research. It had passed its trials enough to be able to be given to the general public. But I don't know whatever that last stage is that essentially gives insurance the clearance to cover it. They hadn't gotten that far yet. So it was considered experimental. And most insurances don't cover experimental drugs because there's not enough research yet. So when I started Mm -hmm. it, I started taking the smaller dose that was once a day. And I was having really, really, really bad side effects, like getting like extreme chest pains and really bad mood swings. And it wasn't even actually helping at all. So after being on, and that was supposed to be for two years, after being on it for a year and a half, they then switched me to the six months course for the last six months. Um, but the six months course they switched me to was never supposed to be given after the two months course in the first place. It was supposed to be either two years at a small dose. So you went subsequent, you did a year and a half on that two year course at a lower dose. And then rather mm-hmm. than giving you a break in between, you ramped right into a six month course of the same amount of drug in a shorter amount of time. So it was double the dose. That's not good. I was taking 150 once a day and then they switched it to 200 twice a day for six months. And so we weren't really sure what that would do, if it would help or, you know, how that would change the side effects because no one had really done it before. So it was kind of like a, let's just see how it goes situation, but it ended up causing such, such like intense depressive symptoms that I had to be taken off of it three months and I couldn't even complete the course because it caused so much issues. And I ended up having to go to a psychiatrist. 
I would only imagine so because those chemicals in the body are tended to stay at certain levels mm-hmm. and in balance with each other for reasons, you know, yeah. throughout development, that type of thing. Because essentially there's nothing wrong with you as, you know, your internal organs, all of that's ready to rock and roll. But you mm-hmm. have this tissue that's growing everywhere, which, by the way, can grow in your bowels, it can mm-hmm. grow around your stomach pieces. It can get all throughout there. It can spread really far. I'm sure your your doctor is telling you all these things at the same time. What puts you, you know, on your knees as if you hadn't been on them the entire time? <laughs> but you get three months into this, you're now now we're psychiatrists in, which by the way, probably could have used that mm-hmm. back, you know, like six years ago for the situation <laughs> as a whole. Yeah, but nobody gives that any thought yeah they don't they don't understand that chronic pain is probably one of the worst things i i have chronic pain from several injuries and i can tell you that um it does take a psychological toll on you mm-hmm. it will rip out your your entire reality because you're not able to take things in without it coming through a filter of pain Mm-hmm. Right. So you don't even get to take things at face value, because if we were looking at Benjamin Franklin's bifocals and flipping lenses, that lens that comes down that is pain is it's not just red. It's like fucking dark blood red. And you're only seeing or hearing that infinitesimal amount that gets back there. And instead of being able to react and say, hey, I'm not good for this conversation right now, whatever it might be. We react with frustration, anger at the situation because what? We're not upset that we can't hear them or feel them for who they are right then. We're actually upset because we're disappointing them and how they look at us. Nobody realizes that. We think that our anger and our upsetness in that moment, it is because we can't play the role. We're not in the game. We're taken out of the game and that makes us feel like we're what? Missing out. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. Same thing that we had since we were kids. It's mm-hmm. it's a weird ass cycle. Yeah. And I mean, you miss out on a lot of things. The thing about endometriosis is it causes chronic pain in the two places where women are always told you're supposed to feel pain, menstruation and sex. So you're already set up to not be listened mm. to. And you're kind of already set up to believe that what you're feeling is normal from, from the get-go. You know, menstruation is supposed to be painful. And sex is supposed to hurt. So I think that really inhibits people's ability to even realize that they're feeling chronic pain in the first place. I don't think people know for a long time that what they're feeling is chronic pain. And they think that, am I just supposed to suffer? Is this just, is this what life is? Is this what it feels like? (laughs) You don't have the same cause and effect scenario that other Mm -hmm. people get. Like a broken leg, you get to see the immediate injury. you know, that they're going through something. In your case, you're basically got to prove that you're faster than the rest of the people in the pack. Mm -hmm. You've got to show somebody that you are out of the ordinary, but it's got to be to such a degree that you, you know, you're hopping on one foot, waving your Mm -hmm. arms and screaming and yelling and doing everything in between. That's got to feel so lonely. Yeah. And it's difficult too, because it sometimes, I mean, I like complaining like anyone else, you know, but like it kind of gets tiresome explaining yourself over and over again and constantly trying to like, you start to feel a little bit like you're just bitching all the time, but it's almost like trying to force people to listen to you. And 
it, it's it's so hard to get doctors to take it seriously that it becomes that one step more difficult that when they do listen and when they are saying, okay, you know, this isn't within the normal boundaries of what you're supposed to be feeling, then endometriosis can only be diagnosed through a surgery. They have to cut you open and go in and they have to physically look, which adds a gigantic barrier to people getting a diagnosed because not only, I mean, first you have to have insurance. You have to be able to get it diagnosed. You have to have that as a resource. You know, I'm lucky that my parents have good insurance. I'm still on their insurance and that my parents have that money to be able to do that. But if taking that time off for a surgery isn't something you can do, and having insurance that will cover it isn't something you can do. You kind of have to just say, okay, we can't prove the diagnosis. And if you can't prove the diagnosis, how do you get those experimental meds covered? How do you get the treatment you need? How do you get all of these resources that there barely is if you can't even prove that you have it, you know? It kind of falls in that fibromyalgia type of bucket mm -hmm. yeah, where somebody yeah, yeah. just says like you have this non-existent or existent pain of everything in this particular area with no actual diagnosis that can mm -hmm. be pinned on it. It's the bucket. It gets yeah. tossed in there for everything that's not understood. And then unfortunately that bucket is laced with a large group of people, um, especially over the last couple of decades that are pain med seeking. So now you're sitting in a bucket of people that make you, you know, doctors are there. They are constantly on guard for someone that's coming in and looking for something above and beyond into the narcotic category to relieve pain. And if they think mm -hmm. that your perceived pain is at such a low degree that every other woman is walking around and not complaining about it, then why would they ever hand you something that could actually reduce it? So you're you're. You're putting so many different stereotypes and buckets and, and all these types of different things. I can't even begin to fathom what that's like. And I think to the, with the pain medications, you kind of have to go into to like, no matter what age you are, if you're young, you're like, okay, this is going to be lifelong. If you're old, you're like, what is this going to do damage with my body that's already aging? And NSAIDs aren't good for you. And they were throwing, Ooh. I was, I was taking, um, 1200 milligrams of ibuprofen a day for like a third of the month. Mm, hello, renal failure. Right. And so, and I already have, you know, other medical issues and I have other things that, you know, are wrong with my GI tract. So anyone who has chronic pain, I don't even, I truly don't think that there's proper pain management for people because the pain management is something that's also ruining your body in another way. And, you know, I would get nauseous from the pain meds and sure it was helping with the pain sometimes, but it was also adding this other, this other thing. And uh, the earlier doctors I saw were quite happy to just throw the ibuprofen at me and say, you know, they used to do that in the military. They called it ranger candy. They would throw yeah. Motrin at you for everything. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. <laughs> Big buckets of it. I used to get them all the time mm -hmm. for every ailment. They're like, here's your complimentary 1,000, you know, capsule or tablet bottle of ibuprofen. Have a good day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they throw it at everything. And there, is, there isn't really any safe pain management that doesn't come with those consequences, which is tough. I think that we don't give enough credence to other methods of pain management mm -hmm. that we have not given any real, any real focus on Eastern medicine to the degree that it should be. Because 
at the end of the day, chronic pain sucks, but it is not a mood, right? Nobody, nobody wants to say that. It is not a demeanor. It is not a, it is only pain. It can only be that thing. Everything after that is controllable. Mm-hmm. Controllable because it's a choice. These are the things that they don't teach us. You know, you're being told from day one that you are to suffer. So much so that they have it written in religious text that says, ha, 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 you guys will endure this forever because of one woman. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It's it's unbelievable what you guys have to endure, you know, just to get to this point. Hey, academics, have you endured life's tragedies, trials, and tribulations? Did you adapt and overcome? Do you have advice for others to pay forward and want to be a guest? Then email us a brief two to three minute video to show at thetragedyacademy.com and tell us how our academics can learn and grow from these experiences. Thanks again for your support. And now back to class. Earlier that I think we can't uh, we can't bypass because this is extremely interwoven into the entire scenario. And that is the sex life that mm-hmm. comes along with this type of situation. Yeah, that's been a very large part. Yeah. Do you want to give us an idea of that? Yes. That is one of the, the one of the biggest problems I was having. So besides, you know, feeling pain all the time, something that should have been beautiful. I felt yeah, something was taken away from me that I don't think it should have been. And it took me a long time to get, you know, my doctors to listen to that. So (laughs) it did ruin my sex life completely. And I never had anything normal to base it off of. So that's a big part of it. It was such a... Sex is such a personal experience in the first place. And there's still a lot of struggle. I mean, people are better at talking about it now. But, you know, there's still a lot of things about it that people are weird about. But... I didn't really have anything to base it off of personally. You know, I didn't have like a, oh, this is, it didn't hurt before and now it does. You know, like if you break, you know, a leg, for instance, like we're talking about earlier, you don't have anything to compare it to. I remember doing a lot of research like, oh, like, is it supposed to be painful? How painful is it supposed to be? And a lot of people were like, yeah, like, you know, like it sex hurts sometimes. So I was like, oh, okay, so that must be normal. There's so much wrapped into that because yeah. there's so many different things. There, the male prowess or, you know, the male ego is attached to, you know, whether or not they're supposedly causing pain and things like that. There's so many weird things that you've got to traverse in order to even mm-hmm. get the right information from. Yeah. That's so, so, so skewed. Yeah, it makes it really tricky to like find, you know, a baseline of what it's supposed to be like. So I really have nothing to compare it to at all. So for a while, I didn't realize that it wasn't normal. And so I thought maybe like, I was like, oh, you know, maybe like, maybe like, I just don't like sex as much as everyone else. I was like, maybe because I always kind of felt like, you know, everyone like plays it up a lot, which maybe people do. But the thing is, is I really don't know because <laughs> I have no idea what other people experience well, it like. That's the thing. If it was a flavor of ice cream, you wouldn't be pissed if you never got to taste it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to say this, it's kind of that same recurring thing. Fear of what we're missing out on. Yeah, yeah. And it's like everyone looks like they're enjoying themselves so much. And I'm like, this is such a huge part of being my age. And I never really got to enjoy it. And then even though like I know that it's not 
and like I've been with my now fiance since we were 17 and you know we're 24 now that's awesome by the way that's awesome it is pretty awesome I am proud of our relationship and he's never tried to make me feel bad about it He's never been anything but like extremely kind about it. He's always been open to working working around it and whatever I need. And he's been, you know, like the most amazing anyone could be about it. But I still always felt kind of guilty, you know, and it's like, it's hard not to. And I kept telling myself, like, you don't owe anybody sex, whatever. And he never made me feel like I owed him anything. But I still felt bad because not only could I not enjoy something, the thing that was causing me pain and causing and taking something away from me, then I felt, you know, it's also taking something away from the person that I love, which isn't fair. And even though he never complained about it, I couldn't ever stop feeling guilty about it. You know, my problem was taking something away from both of us that I felt like we had the right to have. So that was really, really, really hard and really tricky. And you know, something that I had to bring up in therapy when I started going to therapy, you know, that like, I, I felt like I almost stopped worrying about myself. And I was like, why am I, why is my problem has to be so about other people, you know, and I couldn't get my brain out of that. So you had, you had taken a role, uh, almost a backseat to yourself, Mm -hmm. feeling so much pain for him so much pain for the loss of your ability to, you know, enjoy what you were told everybody else is enjoying mm-hmm. and put in a position where you're just basically alone with this. Yeah, you know, because like I thought I was missing out. And so I knew I didn't want anyone else to feel like they were missing out as well. You know, I felt like I was taking something away from him, even though he never made me feel that way. But it's hard to not blame yourself for it, you know? I think one thing that that we have to remember is, A, we're not responsible for anybody's happiness. Nobody's. Whether they're your husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever, whatever that title is, you're not responsible for somebody else's happiness, right? And then secondly, it's a choice to be with somebody. Mm-hmm. You don't choose to eat garbage every <laughs> single day. Nobody chooses to eat crap unless they're getting some kind of reward out of it, all right? So he's making the choice to be with you mm-hmm. because he loves you. And then his payoff is not that. Because if it were that, then there'd be no reason to be together to begin with. So cut yourself a break. He's making the decision. He wants to be in this position. So allow him to be. Because I think that if the roles were reversed, you would be in, you would automatically give him the same compassion. Mm-hmm. Right? So allow him to be human and allow yourself to accept his kindness and his understanding and his, and his empathy. Right? We like to take on the feelings of other people so, so much. We, we give each other, you know, we like to believe we know what other people think about us. We like to believe that we know other people's perceptions of, you know, our moral compass or our pain scale or our, you know, anything and everything. We like to believe that everybody knows it. They don't know shit about us. They don't because... How many people do you know that about? Yeah, my buddy. Like maybe one or two, Yeah, you know, like a very tight knit group. Yeah. You just don't know because guess what? Everybody's worrying about what other people think. (laughs) Go to, 
pick out an outfit, go to work and spend all the time that you do picking it out. And I say this all the time, but you go into the office. All right. You're going to invest a good hour into all this, depending on how OCD you are getting all this situated, you know, walk in there, but guess what? Everybody else did the same thing. Everybody else did the same thing. Now you go home and I want you to tell me, unless it's fucking Herb that always wears the goddamn green shirt, you're not going to know what anybody else wore. Nope. Yeah. Do you think they know what you wore? Probably not. <laughs> Probably no, not. not. Everybody played the game. <laughs> everybody played the game. Nobody knows your pain, mm-hmm. right? Nobody is seeing your pain. This is a hard thing to realize, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I talk to friends, you know, that have had chronic pain and things like that. And it's almost like you take a role or a personality or persona, your ego almost becomes intertwined with the fact that you are a literal sadness ball and chain to anybody else that is in your presence or tacked onto your life, right? That's a Mm -hmm. shitty way to refer to yourself because you talked about not getting a baseline. Well, fuck, that's not even getting up to a line to even draw across. It doesn't even work that way. Yeah. Right? So if we're not responsible for anybody else's happiness, then we must be responsible for our own happiness, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're trying to derive our happiness from the societal structure that's been put before us and all these different pillars of life, you know, must be prom this year, lose your virginity here, get married here, you know, have kids here, do this here and making someone a slave to unattainable tasks mm-hmm. or or, you know, not unattainable to benchmarks that don't need to exist. They're just concepts. Mm -hmm. They're ways to keep people, you know, from looking to their left and right. It's little Mm -hmm. boxes. Pete Seeger, I think. I don't know. Yeah, there's also Jahari's window, I think, as well. What other people think of you, you think yourself, and then, you know, what nobody knows about you or some shit like that. But it, it really means that, you know, when you walk around with that chronic pain, you think that people can see mm-hmm. your pain. And it, it just becomes like this entire world, this entire reality. But like I said earlier, that's not a mood. That's not a personality. That's not a persona. That's not any of those things. Pain is not those things. So how do we take care of those things? Because you can be in pain and be happy, mm-hmm. believe it or not. It is very attainable, right? But in order to do that, you got to find out what is triggering your pain and how you address it. Because guaranteed, endometriosis is probably like one eighth of the entire issue that you have going on Mm -hmm. because you know what that is. It's definable. It's done. It is up on the shelf. You figured it out. You know, you went through an early hysterectomy. We're going to talk about that in a moment, right? Mm -hmm. So that's defined. It's all this other shit swirling around that doesn't have any real roots. It's not going to grow into anything unless it's given ground to grow from. So when we give it that platform, then it becomes reality. But you don't have to give that kind of reality to it. You sit back and you start to look at, well, how can I heal myself? That's why I wish I went to therapy earlier and why I really wish that you know, therapy. Everybody needs a therapist. I don't yeah. give a shit who you are. And I really wish that people with chronic pain were told earlier that they should seek therapy for it because I don't think it's people's first thought because it wasn't my first thought to go to therapy. It wasn't until later 
that I realized that there was all these problems because I had essentially given up on myself feeling better and tried to find... And I, I was almost like not trying to feel better for me anymore because I had accepted that I wouldn't feel better. I kind of given up on the, the, the idea that like things could Williams. improve for me. Yeah. So I just wanted to find ways to what I could do to to try to improve things for other people. Does that make sense? Well, I totally get it. And, and I say Robin Williams because he was such a treasured icon. And I don't think that it rippled through the world the way people think it did just because they loved him. Mm -hmm. um, because it, 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 the way it resonated to me was that it was a mask. Because we wear masks. We wear masks every day. Interviews, everything, you know, that we go through. And, you know, customer service, family mask, whatever it is. Listen to your voice. That'll tell you the answer. Because you change your inflections for each and every one. Right? So now that fear of missing out shows up again because that's fool's gold, by the way, fool's gold. <laughs> there, there is yeah. no happiness at the end of that. Yeah. It, it, that's not where it's derived from. But that mask is what gets you a ticket to the party. And we will do anything to keep that mask up to societal standards. We'll take drugs. We'll do heroin, methamphetamines, all these heinous things for what? Everybody thinks it's to go out and have a good time. It's not to go out and have a good time. A lot of the times it is to, those people are just trying to feel like they feel everyone else feels like. Yeah, they're, they're looking just for normal, out. just in a different way. When we know that the root cause of those types of things are just the same as any other pain. Mm -hmm. It all starts somewhere in the childhood and click, you know, and it starts a, a trigger, you know, it, it's a boulder that rolls forward, just whether or not it, you know, has a clearly defined path or... It's just bouncing all over the shit like the ones in my head. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Especially with regard to your boyfriend. Um, I wouldn't take on his pain too, right? Yeah. I don't think he wants you to. No. Because every time you feel bad for him, he feels bad for you. Yeah. It's a, it's a mirror. It, it really is an infinite mirror. If the two of you were standing in front of each other, feeling empathy or pain for one another, it would just continue replicating where you would feel bad for the other feeling bad. Yeah. Over yeah. and over and over again. Mm -hmm. it, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over again. Right? Yeah. So he's, he's going to be there. He's already proved this. Mm -hmm. Right? He's already proven that point. And you're figuring out now in therapy that your happiness doesn't come from him. It doesn't come from a sex life. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come from mm -hmm. anything but whether or not you love yourself. Mm -hmm. That's as simple as it is. And it's like learning that relationships are different. And like, I think people are kind of given that idea through like what popular media kind of like what a good relationship is or what that includes. And like, if it doesn't include one thing, then it can't be a happy relationship when it's not that simple or that black and white. You know, like, I think I felt like, oh, like I can't have a happy relationship without a happy sex life, but you can. And it was just something I had to learn, you know, and work in, you know, in therapy and talk about because I think people like mm. really think like you have to have all of these things and you have to have all of them or you know, there's a problem when that's not really the case. It's bullshit. Yeah, agreed. it really is. It is something that unfortunately uh, our elders were told and they were told for certain reasons. And, uh, you know, it may have been required to get to where we are now and all that type of thing. 
you know, those societal constructs, they create the mental issues that we have on a day-to-day basis. If you think about it, um, ADHD, bipolar, you know, whatever the hell else out there. Well, I'm sure there are doctors will kick me in the junk for saying, you know, like that it's not something caused by, you know, a particular chemical reaction or an imbalance of some sort. But honestly, to me, I think that it is screams of the human mind in various forms from being trapped in a cage that we've devised called reality, mm-hmm. society, acceptance, conformance. You know, and I'm not saying, you know, let's let's go anarchy. No, (laughs) because if we look at this, all the things that you described, pain was one of the smallest, most infinitesimal pieces of this entire discussion. Right. We discuss chronic pain as it relates to all the things that surround this. So let's go back. And now we're looking at you're done with a trial, you're throwing up, you're having chest pains, panic attacks, you're snapping at everybody on the planet. You probably, because mm-hmm. it's hormones are not unlike steroids, they will make you like one minute eat a couch cushion because you're hungry, and the next minute you want to vomit, mm-hmm. and you're all over the place and all those types of things. So you're at the end of your rope. Yeah, and you know I'm also having to go to work still, you know? So you go to your doctor, right? Mm-hmm. You go to your doctor. The excellent doctor that you found after going through all of these different OBs that didn't have the ability to comprehend or empathize with you. Maybe not their fault. They really just, whatever structure their mind or their cage is, didn't allow for you to be in the level of pain that you were. Mm -hmm. But this doctor found it. This doctor walked you through these things. But this doctor also had to do something that a lot of doctors say is unethical. Yeah. And that was the hysterectomy. Yes. So, yeah. And we... Did not even we we didn't make the decision lightly, you know, and it was something that we had talked about for a long time. And before I started the Alyssa, we did have a discussion that she made sure she recorded that, you know, if the Alyssa doesn't work, what are our options? And obviously that was one of them. And so the tricky part then became that there was a lot going on at the time that made this surgery really difficult. Um there so some sorry. My brain has to put everything together. Take your time. If I haven't said it to to up to now, again, thank you for your candor, your courage, and your openness with everybody out there because every word that you speak is the truth of so many other women and people out there in some way, shape, or form. So you take all the time you need because you deserve this time. All right? So, um, yes, the surgery was complicated for a lot of reasons. Um, my doctor felt that the right choice was to remove all of my reproductive organs, essentially, um, to remove so ovaries as well, ovaries, uterus, cervix, all of that. The issue was that normally that is not something that you can get covered by insurance at my age. Um, if you're kind of under 35 or 40, that can be really, really, really tricky. Um, usually the insurance will only cover it if you leave an ovary so that you still have um, eggs and you can still... Reproductive capabilities. And, yeah, eggs. hormones as well. Like you're still having hormones and everything. But the issue with that is that if you leave any part of the reproductive system, then the endometriosis isn't actually going to go away, you know, and if I'm going to go through such an intense surgery, we might as well take everything and just end this, you know, 
or like ended. The recovery is like years long, but yeah, as best as possible. It was also tricky because it was during COVID. So scheduling it was a nightmare because it was considered an elective surgery, um, even though in the meantime between, I know, in that space, I think it took me like three or four months to get it scheduled. I wasn't on any medication. I was back to just taking pain medications. I was trying to go to work and I was, the surgery was just being put off and put off because the surgery center wouldn't schedule it. So in that meantime, I was back to the extreme pain that I was having from the very beginning with not even with really no help. Yeah. Um, which was a nightmare. I had doctors tell me not to do it. Uh, my neurologist, I went to my neurologist for a different reason. And I had expressed concern to him because, um, so I have a pineal cyst, which is really, really common and pretty much doesn't bother people for the most part. People usually find out by accident, which is how I found out because I got a concussion and they just saw it in the CT scan. But I went to see a neurologist because there's a lot of information they don't know about it. And there's thoughts that hormones might have to do with it, which is why women get cysts more often. So I had inquired with my neurologist, hey, if I have this surgery and have my hormones go from 100 to zero, is that going to affect the cyst? Do I have to worry about the cyst growing? Will that make it shrink? Will will that cause any sort of domino effect with my health and Mm, instead of answering my question he freaked out about me getting a hysterectomy and he was not worried about the effects it would have on the cyst or anything all he was concerned about was the fact that i was having a hysterectomy and he like he told me that that's like my main purpose in life and like i'm taking out what makes me a woman and all this stuff and he like went through this whole and, and and the thing was is that it was none of his business in the first place. You know, I didn't go there to him for his input on my other medical problems. Yeah. Like he's a neurologist. He's not an OBGYN. Like what is, I mean, what does he know? Um, so I never really got an answer to my question. So about if that would affect the cyst, which I'll find out. It's been six months since my surgery. So I had to get an MRI, but anyway, yeah. So he freaked out. You just watched somebody have like a cerebral flatline based on their societal upbringings and Mm -hmm. you got thrown up on by somebody with nothing but it's just word vomit of all the things that you're supposed to be and why you're fracturing their head right now it's almost like uh you don't have a choice you know it's not your body it's not your Mm -hmm. you know your decision and honestly, like what hurts more than even just like people thinking like, oh, well, then what use are you? It's almost like what they're saying is like your your comfort is like less important because if I needed to get like any other organ taken out for a medical reason, people wouldn't be like, are you sure you want to take it out though? Like, what will life be without it? Like, if you have to take an organ out, you have to take an organ out. You know what I mean? People don't normally like, like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, why would I want to live with chronic pain? You know, and thankfully, I don't really want children, you know, and I've always been more adoption oriented anyway. You can always adopt. You can love any child as much as any other. Absolutely. Love isn't attached to DNA. No, not at all. Exactly. So it's like, that doesn't even, it's not even a problem anyway, you know, but the idea that all these people really were saying like, you should 
like alpha woman, you should be willing to put up with all of this horrible pain and all of these things you've had to give up just to be able to birth your own kids when that's not even my only option anyway. We have a real problem as humans transferring things. And we don't just do that amongst society or, you know, in political affiliations or, you know, in our aspirations and things like that. What I'm trying to say is that everybody tends to take other people's viewpoints on how people should grow societally or, you know, their understandings of how we're supposed to navigate through our development, through our life, through our, you know, sex life or anything of that nature. People examine, you know, for incongruencies or ways to put themselves in a comfortable position within their own mind, right? So they're, they're looking at someone, you know, and they're saying, well, look, you know, if they're like that, then I don't feel that way. Or maybe I'm in a better place. And they don't like to think that either. They don't mm-hmm. want to acknowledge your pain because they're going to have to say, oh, well, guess what? My, my cramps aren't that bad. That's not anything I could ever imagine a woman wanting to say to another woman. Mm-mm. Because for some reason, we've said that that's not allowed to be discussed. Yeah. The, you know, or and that's that it should just be empathy across the board. And I I just feel like we transfer everything, our thoughts, we transfer, you know, our beliefs, we transfer how we interact with each other all the time. We take on other people's moral judgments and standpoints and things like that without any consideration for the situation with which these decisions are being made. And quite frankly, fuck him. He's a dude, Mm -hmm. never had a cramp in his life. I'm not going to fucking tell a woman something like that. It sounds insane. Like, yeah, I can't imagine how you didn't like, you know, slap him in it. Well, you're a very nice young woman, <laughs> so you're not going to do this. But this guy had no business doing that. No, not he really at all. Did. And that's a form of shaming. Yeah. And it, thankfully, I'm pretty stubborn. And I just like asked her, I just like called my mom and I like told her what happened. I was like, I'm so mad. Like, fuck this guy. Like, you know. So it it didn't make me like not want to like, you know, he didn't waver my like how, how, you know, sure I was about this is like what I wanted, but he definitely tried. It really like opened a really interesting conversation that I had with my, my fiance about um, gender, you know, because this guy was like, you know, if you take out your uterus, you know, almost like you're not a woman and people are always saying like that conversations about genitals but clearly it's not first off but also you know like they it it kind of it's like that first step into like why you know the trans community is treated so badly you know because everyone's basing like who you are what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to be based off of an organ that I had gotten removed and nothing about me has changed you know I don't know man you look like you're down one uterus so (laughs) I kind of don't want to talk to you I I wasn't going to say anything and I was like did you see her when she came in she looks like she doesn't have a uterus you know and it, it makes it you know it really made me think about like all those people that are like well you know even if you get a sex change you're still you're still not a woman you know you can't reproduce I can't <laughs> you know so it's almost like these people like they don't care like what you are now they care about how you started and it's like that's not who you are anymore so why did you know what I mean like you know, it really made me think about like what 
trans women specifically go through. Jealousy. Remember we said earlier that, you know, one person will get jealous of what another person is allowed to do with themselves at this point or at this juncture in their life. If you don't think that there's a little bit of a sprinkle of, I feel like I'm somebody else, but I never got a chance to be somebody else. And now someone else is going through these situations and get to do them without being, you know, ostracized or put into a bucket or the same level of so much so that they can't pursue who I want to be. All these people are just as confused as anybody else because, mm -hmm. hey, guess what? We're all a little bit man and a little bit woman. That's how it works. It's a, it's a yin-yang. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to, you know, they think they, they're supposed to be, well, I, um, I have 270% man, so that means that I should wear the M shirt, you know, and I am 180, so I wear this shirt. That's the half and half, you know, or whatever. I don't know, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's ridiculous. But the fact of the matter is, is the only reason why this has to exist is because it's oppressed from above. Otherwise, where is the thing. For a country that wants to be united, we sure are dividing the fuck out of ourselves mm -hmm. into little bitty pieces yeah. over and over and over and over and over again just to get the acceptance of those above us, supposedly, right? Or the people that set the standard. Bullshit. Who cares, man? It's much easier to just be authentic mm -hmm. than it is to be a label. Yeah. I, I just feel like that's the standard that we need to judge people by. By who you are, walking the walk, talking the talk, not yesterday, not tomorrow, because guess what? Those don't exist. They're not here. What you're doing now, judge, don't even judge. Just be yourself <laughs> in the now and accept things for what they are. And that's also how you take care of the pain issue, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, if, you're, if you're thinking about future pain or you're grieving past pain and what you've missed out, you get pain times three. Mm -hmm. Ain't that a smart choice? <laughs> hey, look, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in some pain right now. And then hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I'm, I'm, this isn't good enough. I need to have stomach aches because of my depression from the pain I've already had. Now, wait, 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 I'm not done. Hang on. I need to have chest pains because they're not about the pain I'm having now because I already know that's happening. These aren't, I'm going to have some chest pains because I know I'm going to have some pain later on, right? Let me just stack these all up right here and enjoy life. Not a good method to fucking get happiness. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to live in the now. Yeah. You got to take away the past and the future pain. You know, and as far as I, I don't have answers, I'm not a therapist or anything like that. I just, you know, try to think from the or look, you know, the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you're missing out on anything. And I'm saying that not from a perspective of, hey, you're not going through the trials and tribulations or, you know, the mental anguish of this, that and the other. I just want you to remember that it only exists because they told you it exists. Mm hmm. All those things that you think you're missing out on only exist because somebody told you they exist. If they didn't ever tell you, you wouldn't feel the loss mm -hmm. for the things that you are feeling the loss for, grieving for other people and things of that nature. I don't think that's how we're designed. That sounds more like a sickness than it does, you know, that's a sickness in and of itself. And, mm -hmm. and I think that you owe yourself that, that time to love who you are, love exactly who you are and maybe give yourself a little bit of martyrdom because you know what? You're out here having endured that. And instead of sitting in a corner and crying and hanging things up and just being done with it, you're coming on and you're empowering all these other women or transgender people 
or anyone that's dealing with a extremely difficult situation head on, right? Coming on and doing something like this empowers others. And you're not just doing it that way. You have a podcast now as well. You want to tell everybody the name of your podcast? Oh, yeah. It's called The Never Ending Sleepover. That sounds like the coolest Judy Bloom book. From like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I feel like that's something is like how to eat fried worms, the never ending sleepover, and then uh, <laughs> something mm-hmm. like that. So I love it. It's just... Um, I just kind of made it for fun. I I really like podcasts. Um, and it's just something me and my fiance do together. And we just have conversations about stuff or teach each other about things we learned about that we thought were cool. Tell stories about our childhood. It's just meant to be like funny and lighthearted and just kind of a way to time with connect him. with people. Yeah. And yeah. And to just have that time. It's, and it's really I- nice. A lot of fun. I know sex seems like it's put on some giant ass pedestal and I'm probably going to take heat from all the men of the world because they don't want to admit it to. It's hyped. It's great. It is what it is. I'm not going to tell you that you're not missing out on something, but I can surely tell you that the older you get, the more you realize that it is a fleeting, fleeting moment Mm -hmm. within your life that really shouldn't have the enduring impact that it does. It's not what they make it out to be. You know what sounded amazing throughout in this entire thing. The person that you described that you were giving the most grief to and the most pain and all that kind of stuff. You guys are sharing something that is intimate because what people don't understand is podcasting is not just sitting down and recording something and then calling it a day. Mm-hmm. Podcasting is planning. Podcasting mm-hmm. is editing. Podcasting is listening to yourself say these things to your significant other. And then understanding, well, hey, guess what? I reacted this way when he said that. He might not have noticed it, but I heard it in my own voice. Things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think you should be proud of something like that. That is a million times better than sex. Million times better than sex. 100%. Because you're going to remember that. Mm -hmm. You're going to remember that. You don't remember sex. You remember the relationship. That's you true. remember the love that's attached to it. You re- you you love the moments, you know, mm-hmm. but the moments can be created out of anything, anything. It doesn't have to be derived from where they told you it has to be derived from. So enjoy those times with him and just keep making more of them. Right? The dude, he's fine. And if he's not, he's going to have to go see a therapist <laughs> because the situation's not going to change. Mm-hmm. So that's his journey. He'll do it, but at least he's got somebody that understands, right? Mm -hmm. I'm impressed by you. I think you're an amazing woman. I think that you've endured a lot at a very young age, but I think that you have thrived, not survived, because you're sitting here now. You're enduring, you know, what most women dread at the end of their life. You're facing that reality at this time of your life. You know, nobody wants to discuss the hormonal changes and the, you know, the menopausal symptoms that come with a hysterectomy and how it's worse at a younger age Mm -hmm. and those types of things. Right. And, you know, yeah. Who wants to have hot flashes at 23? It sucks. sucks. (laughs) That doesn't sound like something that someone wants to sign up for. But guess what? Your name is not Rachel Hot Flashes. (laughs) That's not, well, oh man, that would be, ah, that would be kind of funny, actually. Be <laughs> would that be a wrestling name? That's your wrestling name. <laughs> I love that. But it's, right? But here's the thing. You're not hot flashes. 
you're not whatever symptom that comes with that. Because, you know, all of the ancillary things that surround your intimate relationships or whatever it is that comes with that, you're not those things. We are not a symptom. We are not any of those things that they read off at the end of a prescription, right? Mm -hmm. Those are all symptoms. You're still you. You're still Rachel and you're still plugging along. You don't have to take on those personas anymore. Keep going to therapy. I go to therapy once a week, maybe sometimes every other week, depending on the schedule. But yeah, I think everybody needs it. Agreed. But cut yourself slack allow yourself to be human and allow other people to pick up their own sack. Let them carry their shit for a while. Let them figure their their selves out. And the best thing that we can do for others in these situations is lead by example. You can't convince somebody to see or know your experiences. You can't convince somebody to feel the same level of pain. But what you can do is accept what you have in life and make the best of it that you can because, I mean, you can either give in and become that mask, the one that sits in the corner and grieves everything that's gone in the now, missing the, the, the current beauty that we have in life every single day, you know, is stop grieving the past and just enjoy now. Don't take on those personas. Don't let somebody else tell you who you are. Because last time I checked, man, when they, you know, when they say all these things, I don't let anybody tell me who I'm going to be. Not anymore. Fuck that. Fuck that. You shouldn't either. So you're not sad. You shouldn't be depressed because of this or because you can't that or whatever the hell it is. Fuck you. (laughs) Right? That's that's not even, uh, how dare you? Right? You need to go work out what's making you say that to somebody. That's the issue. Mm -hmm. Honestly. Feel bad for that dude because something's really fucked up in there to look at a, you know, a young woman in the face and shame her for trying to get rid of her pain. The fuck is wrong with that? That dude's got some issues. For real. He needs help. Agreed. He could have been sued. Here's the reality. He could have been sued all the fucking back for something. And then now anybody that he thinks might be sued by an action that they're doing when he's not even there. He's trying to tell you no because he's protecting somebody else. We don't know what the motive behind anybody else's thoughts and their actions. You just can't even put them together. It could be a modicum of things. Shit, his wife might not have been able to have kids. And he's been super sad because he never had a kid. We don't know. But that's not yours to take on. Mm -hmm. True. So the one thing we should remember throughout all of this is that we have to accept ourselves for who we are. And that we don't owe anybody anything. You owe nobody nothing. You owe yourself everything and the rest will come in turn. Agreed. I appreciate you. I really, really, really do. I I can't tell you how grateful I am that you've come on and that you've had this discussion. My wife and I talked about this before you came on. She was, um, she was very, very uh, excited that that somebody was going to be able to discuss something that is so near and dear to so many women's hearts. It's something that they've been enduring forever. And I can't, obviously empathize with the situation um, to the same degree or at the same level or whatever it might be. But I can say that, I mean, if you see pain in somebody else's eyes, recognize it. It's not hard to see and feel it and just be cool. Just be fucking cool. Don't, don't, don't use your, you don't have as much pain as me fucking thermometer. Because I'm over that shit. Yeah. Everybody's over that shit. I hate that. It's, oh, <laughs> well, like, you know, you didn't have mine. And I'm like, but, but it still sucks, you know? <laughs> How do you know? 
Yeah. You don't have my nerves. True. You don't have my guts. You have none of these things. You don't know. Maybe my brain says pain at one feels like 10. You have True. no clue. You can be designed so many different ways. I like that we argue about transgender and all that kind of stuff, but yet we can be born with multiple parts and shit. But we're just going to ignore that stack. We're going to put those people over there. That didn't happen. They're only born in ones and twos, and those are defective. That's it. You know, we're not going to acknowledge the fact that nature's trying to happen, you know, and doing whatever mm -hmm. the fuck it wants. Yeah. It's not about the societal structure. Be you. Be proud. And you're welcome back anytime. I appreciate you. Keep sharing that relationship that you have with your, your fiance um, on your podcast. What's the name of the podcast again? Never Ending Sleepover. Never Ending Sleepover. And you know what? I, I think that defines probably your relationship with him. Yeah, you guys have been friends for so long. <laughs> yeah, because ah, it's been since we were teenagers. That's beautiful. Yeah. See, could you, could you guys be any more adorable? <laughs> what the hell? Um, I do also like, I'm sorry, want to plug my TikTok too, just because I, I video documented um, my journey before and after the surgery. So my TikTok is Rachel J. McDonald. And then I just took videos from before the surgery. Um, I took some videos right before I went in, some videos after. And then I also took some videos about some of the complications and stuff. And I'm going to update soon when I go on hormone therapy. So if anyone so listening courageous. is going going to go through anything like that, I did record it because I I couldn't find any resources from anyone else who'd been through it at my age. So if anyone listening is going to go through it, I did record it on TikTok if you want to watch from before to after the surgery. Definitely. So hopefully that will help somebody. We'll have all that information in the show notes as well and make sure that everybody can get there. And um, it'll also be on the website so they'll be able to get to it from there as well. And I think that uh, that having that chronological step through that journey, that's etched in stone. Anybody can open up, you know, their phone and find the help that you weren't able to find or you had to, to put together. So be proud of yourself for that. That's amazing. I'm hoping it'll help because I couldn't find anything. So hopefully somebody out there can, <laughs> will have some use out of it. <laughs> for You know, it's funny for an issue that affects 10% of women, there sure isn't much of a uh, fucking focus on it. I know. That, isn't sad. that sad? Yeah. That's super sad. And a lot of women weren't lucky enough to even get the surgery. I mean, I had a doctor that vouched for me every step of the way and even we had trouble. You know? Oh, yeah. I'm sure you had the board, all the, mm -hmm. the panel. We had to schedule the surgery people. for the first surgery of the day because my doctor was worried that I would be questioned constantly by everyone who came to my hospital bed. You know, so she even scheduled the surgery around me not having to interact with as so much people. You shamed for hours while you mm -hmm. were waiting. Yeah, so that essentially there, was, there wouldn't be very many people at the hospital at the time. Transference. So. Remember, parents put... A lot of stock. A, parents, a parent can put a lot of stock in the success of their lineage, their line, or their children. And if they're told, you know, that their self-worth is based on the size of their family and their ability to have more children, and that's their social currency, you know, or their familial currency or something like that, they're, they're going to do anything and everything they can to prevent you from stepping off the cliff, you know, in their brain. Mm -hmm. Because if they had done that, maybe the, the dice were different. So they're just trying to protect you at the end of the day, you know, but 
I think you you did what was right for you. you know, don't let anybody question you. All right. And go to their TikTok. Rachel's TikTok. It's gonna, I'm going right after this. <laughs> All right. Remember, everybody, be cool and keep learning. Hey academics, thanks again for attending another class at the Tragedy Academy. You can show us some love by subscribing, downloading, and rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Or ask Amazon Alexa to play the Tragedy Academy podcast. You can find links to all major podcast platforms and past episodes at thetragedyacademy.com. You can find us on all the majors of social media on Instagram at the Tragedy Academy 2019, on TikTok at the Tragedy Academy, and on Twitter at tragedy underscore academy, where we'll post our clips of upcoming shows, updated info, and thoughts. If you'd like to be a guest, send an email to show at thetragedyacademy.com. Keep an eye out on Instagram for Tragedy Academy giveaways. Thanks again for coming to class. And remember, be cool, keep learning. What's up, academics? This is Jay. I'm here to talk to you about Into the AM. This is a clothing and apparel company that I came across last year that has the absolute coolest designs. And the reason why I was attracted to it is because I grew up without a lot of money, like many others, and had to shop on that outlet rack with the irregular items, things like the fly was over four inches to the left, or the right sleeve would be twice the size of the left. It looked like I was growing horizontally. Like, it's okay, honey, you'll grow into your left arm. So you really don't get a chance to express yourself the way that you want to. You go into life, you start putting on suits, you start putting on uniforms, and you realize you'd never had a chance to truly express yourself. Enter into the AM. A team of artists and creators who share a common vision. They see clothing as a canvas to express what drives you. Since 2012, they've developed premium apparel that elevates self-expression and provides unparalleled comfort for wherever your passions take you. Into the AM's passion for change is the driving force behind their brand. They remain committed to creating products that inspire and promote self-expression by partnering with like-minded organizations focused on giving back to communities in need. Last year, they donated 1% of all revenue from their graphic tees collection to the Art of Elysium charity. The Art of Elysium is an artist organization built on the idea that through service, art becomes a catalyst for social change. For over 24 years, the Art of Elysium has paired volunteer artists with communities to support individuals in the midst of difficult emotional life changes. They currently offer 110 community programs per month, serving over 30,000 individuals per year. The only permanent thing in life is change. Supporting charities dedicated to helping those going through these changes, trials, and tribulations require a never-ending commitment. The onus is on us as creators to affect change through our true, authentic talents, and Into the AM is the model of how this is done. Their clothes are handcrafted with care. They have a team of skilled artisans that craft each garment with the highest quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. Not to mention, these things don't shrink. They don't fade and they fit as if they were designed supernaturally. I'm stopped every time I wear one of the graphic tees to find out where I got it. The colors attract attention from miles and the art is nothing short of spectacular with designs for everyone. One of my personal favorites, Twilight Midden. Go take a look. Into the AM does all of this while putting their money where their mouth is. 30 day money back guarantee, lightning fast shipping and hassle free returns. The deals are endless. Graphic tee bundles, discount promo codes. Get over there, check it out. I'm highlighting the tees, but I'd be remiss to not mention that if you want to walk around in the absolute most comfortable shorts, joggers, and basic tees, 
hit up into the game. I even wear the basics to the gym. Head on over to thetragedyacademy.com, go to our sponsors tab, and follow the affiliate link to the Into the AM store. Help support Into the AM and the Tragedy Academy by purchasing the absolute best apparel and the best designs ever. And remember, academics, be cool and keep learning.